Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and happy 4th of July weekend. I know it's the 5th today, but this has been a weekend to celebrate one of God's greatest gifts in our lives, and that is to be in this outstanding, exceptional country of ours. We thank the Lord for all the blessings that He has shed on this country. I know that it's been a strange 4th of July weekend because usually this is a weekend that is filled with outdoor activities, whether it is spending time at the beach or at the lake or in parades or at parks or outside celebrations. These have all been things that have become staples of our celebration of our national independence as we come together in big crowds and in lots of ways to do those sorts of things. So this has been a strange time for us as it has been in so many other ways. Instead of being able to go outside to celebrate the 4th of July, we had to do something else. And this year, because we were not able to do as many things outside, I, I decided that I was going to take a little bit of a journey inside, that I was going to, to really reflect and think deeply on some of the great texts and some of the great writings that our founding fathers had uh, left for us about the founding of our country. But before we get into that, I want us to go back to our text for today, which continues our study of the book of Philippians. We are going to be again in Philippians chapter 1 as we talk about this topic of underdog faith. That is, that unexpected faith from unexpected people in unexpected circumstances. And today I want to begin by reading chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus." And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. The week of July 4th, in the year 1863, may have been one of the most important weeks in the history of the United States. The Battle of Gettysburg, July 1st through 4th, turned the tide for the United States forces, giving them the, their first major victory against the Army of Northern Virginia in the East. Four months after one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War, 
On the afternoon of November 19, 19, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln traveled to the Gettysburg battlefield to dedicate a cemetery to the honored dead of that conflict. And in a moment of inspiration, President Lincoln seized that ceremony as an opportunity to honor the fallen Union soldiers and redefine the purpose of the war. And we all know those words. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. In the Gettysburg Address, President Lincoln drew a straight line connecting the sacrifice of those who gave their lives over July 1st through 4th in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania of 1863 to the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the patriots who gave their lives to found this country in the American Revolution. Like them, Lincoln says, those who fell gave the last full measure of devotion that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. In 1776, a new nation born of an idea was brought forth. And then in 1863... Abraham Lincoln declared that those soldiers gave their lives so that this country could have a chance for that new nation to achieve its, its vision and to be what it was founded to be. You see, the Gettysburg Address was a eulogy of gratitude who gave the last full measure of devotion to see something new yet incomplete in the world. Deeply embedded in this letter to the Philippians is the idea that God has started something new. A new colony of Christ's love that will supplant the tyranny of Caesar's empire. A new kingdom that would be a bright and shining light in the old world, where every tongue confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he knows in the writing of this letter, as he is writing these words, that this vision is not yet complete. But he also knew that these Philippian Christians were the scrappy underdogs living and working to make the kingdom of God a reality in the world. Now, the passage that we've read today is one of my favorites in all of the New Testament because it's a passage about gratitude and hope. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, first of all, a prayer of gratitude for this beloved partnership that the Apostle Paul experiences with the Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Now, why is Paul so thankful? He's thankful because of his partnership with the Philippians. Now, this word partnership is an important word because it embodies ideas like loyalty and trust and mutual investment and shared passions and vision. 
Paul is saying, I love you because we are in this together. You know, that makes me want to pause for a second. And I just want to say how much your encouragement has meant to me and the other leaders of this church, not only over the last three, four months, but over the last week. Over the last week, we've had to make some pretty tough decisions, decisions that not, not everybody was happy about, decisions, honestly, that I'm not happy about myself. One in particular was the decision to suspend our in-person worship because of this spike in the COVID-19 crisis. But we have, and I have personally received so much encouragement and support words of patience and words of kindness from people on both sides of the issue. Tensions are so high right now. There's such a temptation to get mad and get mean or to bail out when we disagree. And so I just want to thank you for your partnership, for speaking the truth in love and for sticking together during this really strange time. But that's what this letter is about. It's about sticking together, not until we're satisfied or not as long as I get my way, but standing together until Christ's work is done. And so this is a prayer of gratitude for this beloved partnership, but it's also a statement of hope that God can take this partnership and do something extraordinary with it. Listen to what he says. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about completion. The word here is epiteleo. And it does not mean completion in the sense of, well, it's over, we're done. Paul's not saying that he who began a good work in you will be done with you as soon as he's finished with you, till he's used you up and then he'll sell you off for parts. No, what this word is telling us is that God is going to bring something to its fullness, to see it to its successful finish, its completion. He's going to make sure that he accomplishes that which he intends. The root of this word is the word telos, which means a goal or a purpose. And what this passage is telling us is that God has a plan, that God has a purpose for you, for your life, and for this people, for this church. That God has a purpose for us. And Christ is going to get us to that goal line. He's going to get us to that finish line. And what is the goal? What is the purpose for God bringing us together, for God investing so heavily in us for this partnership? What is the purpose for which he has called us? It is that God would be glorified and people would trust him and that they would bet their lives on him because of what they see in us. That God would use us to give him glory and it would draw people's attention and people would be drawn to him. But implied in Paul's prayer is a confession. If he's praying for completion, 
then there is a confession here that somehow God's work is not yet complete in us. We're not there yet. I mean, ask yourself this question. Do you ever feel incomplete? Do you ever feel like you've been cheated or robbed or, or broken? Do you ever feel like you blew it or you failed or that you don't have what it takes? Like you've missed an opportunity or messed up an important relationship. I mean, what are the things that leave you feeling like you don't measure up and you never will? That you might as well just give up? I mean, even Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand. But a lot of times we feel like it's Caesar's world and we're all just living in it. And that often leaves us with a feeling, a sense, not of completeness, but of incompleteness, of inadequacy. But there is an important prerequisite truth here. For God to do his amazing work in us, we have to admit that very incompleteness. And we need to turn to his sufficiency. We have to admit that we have some problems. We have to admit that I'm not fine, that I can't do it on my own, that I need help, and most of all, I need Him. We have to admit that things are not as they are supposed to be, and that, in fact, I am incomplete. But the good news is this, that even though we feel incomplete, God is not finished with us, and he has promised to complete what he has started in you. Here is the amazing grace and truth of Jesus Christ. The gospel is all about forgiving what was rebellious, about healing what was broken, about restoring what was rotten, and to clean what was unclean, and to complete what is unfinished. And so Paul prays that God will complete us first by expanding our hearts. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. I believe that this is a prayer for compassion. I want you to think about all of those hospital workers, all of those healthcare workers, all of those doctors and nurses and technicians, and everybody who works in the healthcare system, and the compassion that they have for all of us. I think Paul is asking God to give us all a heart like that. The Bible teaches us that while Jesus moved from town to town, city to city, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the kingdom of uh, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction, that he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What it says literally is that he saw the suffering of the people and it broke his heart. It literally made him sick to his stomach. And Paul is praying that we would be like Jesus, that we would look around at the situations of people around us and be so moved that we have to do something about it. Next, he prays that God will fortify our minds. That we will grow in what he calls knowledge and discernment. Paul is praying that God will transform his people by a deeper understanding of his word. 
I think this is a prayer for wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing the word, knowing the world, and knowing the difference. To the church in Rome, Paul wrote this. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we need to understand this about this passage. God did not give us the Bible to confirm our opinions, but to transform our minds. The Bible is not supposed to make you comfortable, but to conform you to the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, how many of us know the Bible well enough to search it for practical knowledge for real life? Do you know the law and the precepts and the Proverbs? You know the stories that teach the formation of character or the passages that describe the character and expectation, the expectations of God. Paul is praying that God's word will fortify our minds as he moves us toward completion. Paul then prays that Christ will cleanse our character. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You know, sadly, statistics show that Christians are just as likely to lie, commit adultery, steal, abuse drugs, or to use pornography as everyone else. Paul is praying that Jesus Christ will transform us so that we will stay pure of distractions created by sin and by the idolatries of our culture. He's saying, don't let your behavior get in the way of or undermine your witness. Don't let your distractions become a poison pill. Instead, we should be known for our love and our kindness, our fairness and our joy, our peace and our patience, our self-control and our honesty. The Apostle Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see instead your good works, your good deeds, and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's praying that, that Jesus Christ will cleanse our character. And he prays that Christ will ignite our fruitfulness so that we will draw attention to Jesus Christ. He says, be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, I have an orange tree in our backyard and honestly, I never pay attention to it until that day when those oranges turn orange. And that day, on those days, that tree seems to explode with color. And that fruit draws attention to the tree. I also have a rose bush, and I never really pay much attention to it until it blooms. In the same way, 
the fruit, the bloom of our lives draws attention to Jesus Christ. People should see our love for one another. They should see our kindness to our neighbors, our generosity to people in need, our positivity and joy in the midst of multiple crises, our self-control when everyone else is freaking out. They should see our patience when other people are impatient. And when they see those things, when they see that fruit of the Holy Spirit, it will get their attention. And they will say, you know, there's something different about these people. And if it has something to do with Jesus, I want to know more about that. And God's name will be set apart as something to be valued above all else when others see what he does for and through his people. And so Paul prayed that God would complete his church, this colony of Christ in Philippi, that God would complete the work of transformation that he began in them. And today, on this July 5th, the Sunday of Independence Day weekend, I think we need to be praying for this nation. We need to be praying that this nation and that the Lord's kingdom colony, the church, in America would also be brought to completion. First, in the crises such as we face today, we have to admit that we are not complete, that there's still work to be done, there's still work to do to meet the challenge of our founders. In this nation, we have to understand that we are still a work in progress. Our Constitution even begins with these words, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. You know, the preamble of the Constitution was carefully crafted by our founders. It does not proclaim that the United States is a perfect union. It says that we are striving to be a more perfect union. Embedded, even in our Constitution, is the principle that our nation is not yet complete. Our founders had the humility to know that every government of man, even the best, is dangerously broken and severely limited. No government, no nation is perfect, and we can be better. Dr. Martin Luther King once wrote, America it seems to me that your moral progress lags behind your scientific progress. You have allowed the material means by which you live to outdistance the spiritual ends for which you live. You have allowed your mentality to outrun your morality. And you have allowed your civilization to outdistance your culture. Through your scientific genius, you have made of the world a neighborhood but you have failed to make of it a brotherhood. As President Ronald Reagan once said, America is a dream as yet unrealized. 244 years ago, our founders set out to establish a nation dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. But we're not there yet. It may be true in law, but it is not yet true in reality. We are finally going to, when are we finally going to understand that justice is not just about punishment, it's about well-being. It's not just about fairness, 
It's about loving our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. So we have to admit that we are not yet finished. But like Paul, we believe that he who began a good work in you, in this nation, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so, like Paul, we have to pray that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will expand our hearts. This COVID-19 pandemic is going to produce a lot of casualties. People suffering health crises and mental crises because of the pandemic. People who've lost their jobs, who have bottomed out financially. Marriages and relationships that have been pushed to the breaking point by exhaustion, addiction, or abuse. They're going to be short-term casualties and long-term casualties. And many people will be like a sheep without a shepherd. But over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing more and more about an effort called Redeeming the Crisis, which is our full speed ahead effort to empower people and families who have become casualties of the COVID-19 pandemic. Basically, we want people to know that when they have problems, they should run to the church and not away from the church. But we can't do it all. And so we need to pray that our nation, our communities, that God would expand their hearts and our hearts and send more and more laborers into the harvest. For our nation, we have to pray that God would fortify our minds with the truth of his word, that the Lord would, ref would redirect our national consciousness from the world to the word. In crises like these, our country needs the wisdom of God's word, not the posturing of politicians. How much healthier would the American family be if more men and women took seriously the Bible's teachings on fatherhood and motherhood and money and marriage and family? How, would, how different would the face of race relations be if we followed the Bible's teachings on justice and poverty and charity? We also need to pray that God would cleanse our character as a nation. John Adams wrote that our Constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You know, right now, people are digging into our history and examining the sins of our past with a microscope, and rightly so. But what about the sins of the present? Just look at the Supreme Court decision this last week on abortion. Even as the Epstein and Maxwell case exposes untold depravity in our culture. We need to pray that the Lord would help us to examine not only the sins of the past, but our role in the corruption of the present. And that he would free us from so much self-destructive and self-indulgent behavior. We need to pray that the Lord would restore a right understanding of liberty, morality, and responsibility. That he would restore our respect for God, for life, for creation, for civility, for one another, and ourselves. And we need to pray that God would ignite our fruitfulness. God has blessed America 
with resources, with people, with geography, with opportunities, with capabilities, and a history that will empower us to do things that no other country can do. The question is, will we do them? I want us to think about something. If we can achieve energy independence from the rest of the world, why can't we end food insecurity for our own people? Just as we have figured out how to get back to space, we need to be the country that figures out how to subdue COVID-19. If we can win two world wars and a cold war, then we can figure out public education. We can figure out immigration, and we are capable of figuring out how to strike a new level of racial justice and harmony and social unity without canceling our culture. If we would just set our minds and our hearts to it and truly wrestle with what it means to be one nation under God. So we need to pray not just that God would bless America, but that God would bless the world through us and that we would bring honor and glory and attention to him in the way we love, in the way we think, in the way we behave, and in the fruit we bear. Not just that God would bless America, but that America would bless God. Finally, we need to pray and give thanks for this country that he's established and that he's given to us. A lot is getting lost in this national commotion. Yes, we have problems. Yes, we are incomplete. But we are a country that addresses and wrestles and works to fix those problems. I really do believe that our goodness can match our greatness. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? We are not yet complete, not as disciples, not as a church, not as a nation. But I'm so glad that, that my salvation and his glory is not dependent on me, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Completion comes from Christ. Even though we're still a work in progress, what God has started, he is going to bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns fully and finally to claim his people, to claim his creation, and to claim his kingdom. Paul says, I know this is right, not because we are perfect, but because you are partakers with me of his grace. We are all in the grip of his unfailing love, of his undeserved mercy, and his unstoppable power. And Paul was telling us, in the worst of times and in the best of times, even in prison, I can see through the bars and know that he holds us in his hand and that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for ourselves, for our church, and for our nation. Oh Lord, expand our hearts, fortify our minds, cleanse our character, and ignite our fruitfulness. Lord, bring to completion that which you have started and help us to understand that we will never be complete either as people or a church or as a nation 
until we are complete in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.